0: Today's scripture reading is found in Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 25. We're reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? And why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, it's thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? The word of God. Good morning, La Sierra, Living Room La Sierra. Tell me what movie you watched this week, the one you reached for when you put it on replay, the the favorite one, you know? Is it a feel-good movie? Was Was it a sequel to a sequel? Was it a blockbuster? Was it a comedy? What's the movie you reached for? And if you're watching online right now, drop a comment in the thread there. Tell us the name of the movie you put on replay this week. And why did you reach for that movie? My favorite movie of all time, Amadeus. Amadeus, the story of the insanely talented Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, set in the 18th century, uh, Vienna, Austria, tells the story of this young, insanely creative musician and his jealous rival, Antonio Salieri, right? I reach for that movie and I put it in and I watch again and again and again. Okay, yes, I am taken by the music. I'm taken by the music, and I'm taken by the humanity, the jealousy, the uh, the the rivalry. I'm taken by the laughter and the fun and the joy and the sounds of the arts of it all. Absolutely, when I put Mozart on, and I listen again. Invariably, I hear a new thing or I see a new thing. I, I hear a dialogue I didn't catch all of it the first time, or I see a scene I don't remember from last time, or to tell the truth, it's not 1990s anymore, and I listen and see differently now, right? It's with that same anxiety, uh, that same compulsion, right? That same drive that I reach for the text from Matthew chapter 6. I've had a hard time putting it down this week. The text we studied last week, Matthew 6. I'm drawn to this passage with this similar intensity when Jesus says to the disciples, and if you have a Bible, open it, Matthew 6, verse 23. Do not worry about your life. Do not worry about what you eat or drink or wear or about your body. And he says this to people in the first century who don't have enough to eat and they have the clothes on their back and they're terrified about the offenses that could be committed against their bodies. Don't worry about your body, your food, what you eat or what you drink. And Jesus has just said to them in the prior paragraphs and congratulations if you're poor. Congratulations if you're weeping. Congratulations if you're hungry. Congratulations if you feel like you're part of the economic machine for someone else's world. Congratulations if people are ruling over you. Congratulations if you have enemies. Oh, and congratulations if you've irritated people because of your allegiance to me. And don't worry. To people who have nothing to do but fret about their lives, Jesus says don't worry in the first century... But also here, in the 21st century, to us, to you and I, when thoughts of food and clothes and what, what about our bodies and, and what about what we will eat it, are fretting over those things that colonizes our minds right now. In the 21st century, just like the 1st century, in this cultural moment, Thoughts about what we're eating and thoughts about keeping safe distances and did I wash my hands enough and the packages arriving from Amazon and Instacart and Costco and are they safe? Can I open them? Not, not to mention all the lists we've now read of the proper way to quarantine ourselves at home. We're exhausted from learning the quarantine life. Am I telling the truth? Not only are we stress baking, it was the flour last week, it's the yeast too, right? We've exhausted ourselves. In the first century, in the 21st century, here comes the voice of Jesus. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about a perilous pathogen on the loose. Or as one epidemiologist said this week, this described this pathogen as a stealthier virus than most. When we open Scripture... To read again and again. We take the text again and again, like a replayed movie or soundtrack you've been listening to this week, because this week is not last week. And COVID 19 seems to be settling and messing with our sanity. What superpowers are needed? Especially for those who claim Jesus, the teacher of Nazareth, as their Lord. What superpowers do you and I need? Jesus says, don't bring your anxious self to this party. (laughs) All right, then what? I am a bit more of a planner than some. I came from a planner's family, right? But, But if you want to have all the bases covered, it's my sister that you need. My sister will have one of everything and two or three of most things, right? So do you need Band-Aids? Do you need an ace bandage? Do you need reading glasses? Do you need chapstick? What flavor would you like? Do you need, um, oh, I don't know, do you need a miniature Phillips screwdriver? You want a flashlight? I have them in small, medium, and large. Do you need uh, AAA batteries or no, no? Do you need one of those little like Duracell watch batteries? What is it, a, a, a 2023 or 32? Three two. She'll have a bunch of those too. Do you need clamps? Do you need super glue? Do you need wood glue? What, what is it you need? Do you need medicine? You need an antihistamine? You need, um, you need a anti-inflammatory, right? Do you, what's the potion that you need? You want an antiseptic? Anti, we'll have it all. You know that grandma-sized purse, that huge grandma-sized purse that you could climb into and find whatever you want, the comfort of that kind of a space. How our souls crave for that kind of comfort this week. I checked on my sister a couple of days ago. It turns out she's immunocompromised, and I called to check on her. It doesn't matter how many Band-Aids or batteries she has this week, when there's an equal opportunity offender on the loose in our world. What are the superpowers we need when Jesus says, "Don't bring your anxious self to this party"? I don't. I don't want that. Peter Ends, scholar. In his book called The Sin of Certainty, which, by the way, is not a book for the the squeamish soul, the sin of certainty, Dr. Enns says this story of Jesus in Matthew 6, he's got a love-hate relationship with it because, on the one hand, Jesus is telling him something he should do, and on the other hand, he's telling him something he doesn't want to do and he's not very good at when he tries. And says he's the child of an immigrant family and he's absorbed from his family this propensity to kind of plan for and to worry about and to think about and be prepared for all the future possibilities. All the what ifs in life. That's his bread and butter. He says, I could teach a college level course on fretting. And then here's Jesus saying, don't stir up worry and trust God and get on with it. And says, I don't really like this story. And, and then he imagines, and if he could talk to Jesus, he would say, Jesus, then you go on to use these ridiculous examples. Fields, uh, flowers full of, fe- uh, fields full of flowers, the lilies in the field, and the birds of the air. Really, you're going to compare my life to plants and birds, Jesus? <laughs> really? Because that's offensive, Plants of the fields don't have a brain, and, and birds are just skittish little creatures that fly into windows and fall down dead. Pardon me if I'm a little offended, or if this seems like a condescending smile, Jesus. Dr. Enns goes on to imagine, because I do have a brain, and I do have a life in the real world. I have a mortgage to pay. I have children to feed Jesus. Jesus, I have an economically depressed, crazy world, so excuse me for being offended that you compare my life to plants in the field and birds of the air. Really, Jesus? And this is when Jesus might re-enter the conversation and say, yes, plants and birds, they don't have the capacity to worry So it turns out that there could be some possibility for you when we let go and trust our heavenly parent, we move into a space where worry is less and less of an option. It's less and less of a skill we have too. Trust our heavenly parent with all that we are, with all that we have. It will later be this Jesus who says, and whoever loses your life for the sake of me, you'll gain it. You'll get something more. Trust Jesus and aim for the kingdom of God, Matthew chapter 6 says. There comes a time, church family, when we will not only be be concerned with our physical certainty... But we will be concerned with our certainty where God is concerned. In our uncertain space right now where we are anxious, where things are unpredictable and unreliable and uncertain. Well, in the physical world, the same can happen in our connection to God. We will come to a space where we wonder, is God dependable too? That's the question ends, plays with. Certainty, it turns out, Eliminates our need for trust. Certainty, certainty and absolute certainty, by definition, it's orphaned of grace. Absolute certainty, it needs nothing beyond itself, it's entirely self possessed. Certainty, what I'm sure of. I know what I know, and I trust what I know. I'm certain of these ideas. Years ago, when we tried to explain the gospel in 10 words or less, I had a man write down his definition of the gospel and hand me this piece of paper. This is, he's certain of this. When I asked him, explain the gospel, here's what he said. The gospel, it's the atoning and sacrificial, sacrificial work of God, making complete the justification of sinners, initiating sanctification, and concluding in redemption for those who keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus. Amen, he wrote. I asked him, are you you sure? He said, yeah, I'm sure. You sure you're sure? Because that's not 10 words. (laughs) You want to change your answer? It's not 10 words. Did you leave anything out? Absolute certainty in God. I'm sure of what I'm sure of, my ideas about God, the way I've constructed my ideas about God. And and then life happens. And when life happens and upsets us, it also can upset the ideas I've pieced together about God. When life upsets us, we reach for ideas about God that are actually useful in this world. I thought I knew what I knew about God but when I live life upside down, I'm not sure and I think about it again. Life can snatch us from these safe spiritual neighborhoods we've created. Sometimes our neighborhoods, our spiritual neighborhoods are unexamined neighborhoods. God's not captive of my ideas or yours. There's a risk of people in quarantined life to worry about everything, but the most important thing what are you thinking about God? Our life of faith, this has to be centered in something else outside of my own ideas about God, my own ability to hold it all together because at some point, I won't be able to hold it all together and the mind will throw up a white flag and surrender. If that's God, I'm out. I quit. Forget it. The day on the mountain when Jesus is speaking It's not only the poor and the hungry on the hillside, but there are also religious people. They're just out of the camera shot, listening in over there. In a few chapters, Jesus will go head to head with the religious people, the leaders in the community, about their ideas about God, the God that they've created in their faith community and in their nation's history. In a a few chapters, Jesus will teach about the kingdom of God, which is another way of saying, pay attention to the agendas of God, the priorities of God, the dreams of God. That's what Jesus is working on through these early parts of Matthew's gospel. There is a world God intends, and there is a world we've settled for. And Jesus will keep telling us again and again and again about the dreams of God and the agendas of God and the world of God, hoping to close the gap between the world God intends and the world we've settled for. When Jesus tells people not to worry, he tells them instead to aim for this world, this kingdom, these agendas, these priorities, and the other things, they'll be given as well. Jesus... He opens up the story of God and he opens us up to a much more rugged and muscular and a much more hopeful and useful story. It's also a challenging story. Because Jesus will move the needle like he did for us. He will move the needle like he did for the religious people in Matthew's day. Jesus is going to move the needle of the way we've thought about God and talked about God and sort of cultivated God in our own community. Trusting God will mean i got to cover my ego up. Trusting God means religious communities will need to cover their egos up. Trusting God means religious communities and faith communities that tend to lead with our certainty we will need to pause. It's like, it's like doing a trust fall. You know that thing you do when you go to summer camp or with a group of colleagues when you're doing that team training where you just lean back and you fall as a free fall trust, trusting that the people will catch you. This is what Jesus is suggesting when he says don't stir up worry and anxiety and trouble. Do a free fall trust with God. Jesus, that day long ago, just like today, he moves the needle in God's story. The story so long ago was a first-person singular story, God and me, and God and my nation, Israel. That's the story the leaders were worried about in the Gospel of Matthew, the God who attends to me and my community. But Jesus is gonna move the needle and in Matthew's Gospel. It's gonna move from a first-person singular to a first-person plural. It's not about me In God's world, it's not about the nation of Israel in God's world. This is more. Do you remember 2014? We hardly heard the word Ebola before August. It was in August when the first two missionaries came home and were hospitalized. They're suffering from this virus. They were admitted to a hospital in Atlanta The next month, another man admitted to the hospital. Turns out there was one artist, a cartoonist in Lisbon, who was watching all the metrics and the Google Trends, and he noticed something, that when those first two missionaries came back to America and were hospitalized, he noticed that that's when the virus got our attention. He noticed the West versus the rest. One death here, 9,500 deaths there. One case here deserved 40 healthcare workers, where 100 cases there got one healthcare worker. Maybe this time, maybe this virus, the first person plural story will come to us quicker because worry is not happening to me, it's happening to us. Unemployment's not happening to me. It's happening to us. Diagnosis, it's not me. It's us. Pandemic is not me. It's us. It turns out Jesus is telling us in this story, salvation is not happening to me. It's happening to us. God is not happening to me. God is happening to us. This is the kingdom. The most Important reality of the pandemic of 2020 is likely the spiritual reality, church. What are you hearing from your Creator this week? The story is large. Trust in the divine. It's not an idea we hold in our head. It's going to be more like the way we move around the world, well, around our homes right now, right? It's the way we move around, and it, it's, trust is going to be more like a verb. The way we enact ourselves in our relationships. Are you feeling powerless? Are you feeling powerless this week? We have all of today to choose how to live. And when we're not filling our time, when I'm not filling my time with making and doing and creating anxiety and worry and fretting, there's a space that opens up for me to become more familiar with God's kingdom. When I'm not busy creating and making and doing anxiety, there's space for me to become more familiar with the generosity of God. In a world this week that's thriving on self-preservation, anything goes world, Listen this week for the voice of Jesus who will tell us, this is not an anything goes story. This is a first person plural story. Salvation is happening to all of us. God is happening to all of us this week. Let our trust grow. What are the the muscles, the trust muscles that can grow this week What are the exercises we do to increase our strength in the department of trust? I'm choosing some language. There's simply some language I'm not going to use when I talk about what's going on in our world. What language will you ban from your conversations and your homes as we navigate what feels very scary? What, uh, what language would we push away? What thoughts will we push away or shut down or not allow when we feel that maybe anxiety and worry is taking shape? What will we do when insomnia won't let us go? Psalm 6, read the poet. Get up in the middle of the night. Psalm 6 says, I am weary with moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. It turns out there's a poet who also knows about insomnia and can comfort us. What movies will you watch this week? Yes, again and again and again. And what songs will we sing? What songs will you sing in your home that will remind us we're living in a first-person plural story that belongs to God, a first-person plural story, God's world in God's hands? What's the song you sing? It's an old one, 140 years old. "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." Just to take him at his word. Just to rest upon his promise. Just to know, thus says the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. How I've proved him more and o'er, Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust him more. Amen.